The following audio is from the King's Chapel in Clifton, Virginia. For more information about our church or to listen to more sermons from this series, you can visit us online at thekingschapel.org. While the uh, children are, are being dismissed, I just want to thank you guys so much for your prayers for me and cards and, and uh, uh, thoughts. Thank you so much. Um, I'm doing much better, and I'm a little weak, but not too weak to preach this morning. This is my first outing since the, uh, uh, those of you that don't know, I have a form of cancer. It was excised. Things are looking good. Everything's looking uh, positive. We have others, however, here at the church that are, um, in, in one instance, I'm just going to say it. I hope the Lord's leading me. George Chatzka is, is uh, in critical condition uh, with um, heart issues. He's had congenital heart issues his whole life. This is a difficult moment. We're hoping that he's kind of piloting his way out of this particular situation. He has the best friends in you guys and the best family uh, the Lord could uh, give. So if you wouldn't mind, I'd like to just pray for him for a second. Lord, we think of all those right here in this room, Lord, who've been through cancer, who've been through heart issues. But we do pray for George, for Bill, for all those like them that have fought the good fight, that, that are still in the race, and just bless them, help them. And I would pray for healing and longevity. Uh, thy kingdom come, however, Lord, thy will be done. In Jesus' name, amen. It is my great privilege this morning to just talk some about Thanksgiving. If anything decent is said, it's from the authors that I richly steal from, and I'm very proud to do it and happy to do it. One of them is our own Bonnie Johnson Fight, who wrote a book called Humble Origins and the Hand of Providence, and it's the story of Jamestown and Plymouth and the Pilgrims. Pilgrim simply is a person journeying, a person on a journey somewhere. The, the, the Pilgrims were uh, are amazing examples to us, and what Bonnie does is she absorbs this, she goes to original sources, um, uh, teaches us something about their families. I thought that was somewhat unique to her work and the place of women and children. So uh, I normally don't do this, for, but for her, I'll do anything. She, she comes here. She didn't ask me. I, I, I am doing this on my own. Wonderful little book. I have a couple others that I richly rob from. One is Among God's Giants, written by J.I. Packer. It's a, it's a, it, it, what little I've read of it, it's an amazing story, and it's talking about the Puritans. Puritan simply means to define it this way. They're just you guys. They're just people who believe in God's holy word. And uh, I'll, I'll discuss them in a little bit. And then the uh, next book among uh, The Light and the Glory by Peter Marshall and David Manuel. So these kind of were uh, my little library today. So I, I can plagiarize them now with a good conscience endlessly. Um, what I want to say to you this morning is we're going to start with Scripture. This is Thanksgiving. This is your Thanksgiving ser- sermon from me. I always loved Thanksgiving. I loved this week's Thanksgiving. We were playing football. I was not. I was watching football. Um, we were having a wonderful time with family and friends, many believers. Some of you guys were there. Uh, and we were able to, as it says in Philippians 4, and if you guys could flash that up there, if, it, if we have it, so to rejoice, we rejoiced in the Lord always. Always. And again, as it says, rejoice. Philippians, as you'll remember, is written by the Apostle Paul. He's in prison in Rome. Uh, He has every reason to be despondent, broken down, finished, 
just crawling through the doors and cells and the people he's handcuffed to and all that, hardly making it. And yet, he has the audacity, the irritating audacity to say to us, rejoice in the Lord always. I believe this is his stance. This is where he's coming from. This is what's going on in him and through him in the slammer. And he says, I will say it again. Here's where Mark last week in his sermon said, uh, quoted a famous man as saying, repetition is the mother of all knowledge. Oh, uh, 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 that was me he was quoting. Huh, how, how do you know? It's the mother of knowledge. It, it truly is repetition. And so Paul repeats for emphasis, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness, that means gentleness in a sense, reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. He's right here. Rejoice in him always. His presence is with us. We're going to be discussing just for a few moments today, because it can get a little depressing, the, the, the state of play back in 1620, 1621, and, and about a decade into that, and how the pilgrims were basically assaulted by life. And yet for those that survived it in this world and are, were rejoicing in the next world, they experience his presence and his opportunities for them to share their faith. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. People that watch this people changed, were changed. Our job and task is embedded in this particular thing. Let your reasonableness be made known to all gentleness. Your very character. When we look at the pilgrims, I want you to think of them this way, and I'll tell their story off my notes. The bottom line was they were English. We'll call them Puritans. They just wanted the word of God. They wanted to know the Lord Jesus. They wanted to be filled with the Holy Spirit. They wanted to follow him closely. And they developed little communities of people all over England. This was going on, not simply with those who were going to come over to the new world. But this group was dedicated to coming over somewhere, escaping the persecution they were experiencing in England. And they were rejoicing in the Lord even in that. They went to Holland. You'll know the story. They went to a, a town called Leiden, and they were working in Holland for a while, but the culture was such that they didn't want, didn't want their children raised in it. I think we, we sense that and feel that in our hour. Let's just say it. I love my public school teachers. Don't get me wrong. I coach in a public school. But if, for some of the belief systems that are in our schools today, they are anathema to the, to the gospel of Jesus Christ, to the word of God, to the law of God in every way. Things that are being taught are despicable, honestly, in some groups. I'm not going to outline them. We all know what it is. So it creates a cognitive dissonance, big words to say. It upsets us to think about this, and so we try to shuffle our kids off somewhere. We seek the Lord. We try to find Him where our children will be safe, or we make them stand up for what's right. We teach them what's right, uh, and, and somehow they survive all this standing on their own two feet. God is with them. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again, I say rejoice. Be strong in the Lord, and the power of His might, it says in another place. But let your reasonableness be known to everyone, the Lord is at hand. Our children, our friends that work in these business environments, in the military, wherever, are salt and light. 
They are change agents because of the joy of the Lord, which is their strength. Do not be anxious about anything. Well, who wouldn't be anxious in this hour? And I'm not going to do a catalog of the events and things going on in our culture right now, but there's many reasons to be anxious, and always there are reasons to be anxious. But he says, don't be The Apostle Paul, he's there in a prison about to be executed in short order. Don't be, but in everything with prayer and supplication, reaching out to the divine one. Making supplication is making specific requests of him. Ask and you shall receive. Seek and and knock and it shall be opened unto you. But in everything with prayer and supplication. And here's the key word with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving indicates that when we pray and when we get before the Lord beseeching him for specific real things. We are to be thankful that he not only hears us, but he will act. He will answer us every time. It may be yes and it may be no. But in either instance, we have put our trust entirely on Christ. Make your requests known to God. Specific requests in terms of supplication. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. It doesn't make sense that we survive emotionally a culture, a time a set of sicknesses and philosophies that can upset us, knock us off every kind of horse, put us on the ground if we want to let it. And yet here Paul comes at it at an entirely opposite way, from an entirely different direction. What he asks us to do is to trust the Lord and thank him in every circumstance. Gene Heck father of some of the people in this room used to tell me every day when I was under enormous pressure in building this building as if I could do anything about it. You you cannot imagine some of the things we went to, however. And he said, have you thanked him yet? Every time. Have you thanked him yet? And I'm like, Gene, if you say that to me one more time, I know you're 78 years old, but something bad's going to happen here. You know, not really. You know that. One of the great men I've ever known because he was a Puritan. Barbara, you guys are just simple Christians. The mere Christianity that C.S. Lewis talked about, that's who they were. Simple, believing, having faith that in this life or in the life to come, and that was part of the deal, they would have victory and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. I don't get it. I don't, I don't know how you can have peace in what you're going through. It says it will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. What we need here is to rejoice in the Lord first. We not, need not to be anxious about anything. And we're not anxious because we've already prayed. We've already requested. And then we've given him thanks in advance that he answers prayer. And the Bible promises The peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Guard. Oh, the Apostle Paul knew about guarding. He was guarded in the prison, sometimes chained to two soldiers. Oh, he knew all about it. And there were garrisons in Philippi where this was being written. They all knew about it. And to have a guard on our side, 
to keep down our anxiety. I can't get up in this pulpit without divine aid. I don't know how to walk, talk, and breathe. I don't know what to say unless he gives me the words, unless he points me to the right things, unless he directs my paths. The kind of thing that happens to me, I will say all the time, and I believe it happens to you. You almost should keep a diary of it. Some people do is he speaks to me. Yes, God speaks to his people. The Holy Spirit lives within you. Do not despise prophesying. That means somehow God illumines your heart and mind to certain truths. The other day, I'm about to, uh, I'm thinking and in prayer about someone in our church. And right here, as I'm looking at this passage, which surpasses all understanding, the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. A text comes across my phone from someone in a desperate situation that imparts in that moment this particular scripture. The moment I'm praying over it and thinking about it, boom, it texts in on me. Now, someone was led by the Holy Spirit there, probably my friend, somehow, but think of the divine connection there. The endless possibility of it. The role of some cosmic uh, dice that wasn't really a role. It was a placement. It is appointed unto a man once to die and after that the judgment. The Puritans knew this. They had to deal with death constantly. But they had determined as they came across the ocean to be a community of worshipers in total, in total both condescension and obedience to the lordship of Jesus Christ. They were met with every type of hazard. When they first landed on a certain part of land that wasn't the place they wanted to go, they were attacked by Indians. Thankfully, somehow there was clothing somewhere. Maybe they'd hung up some stuff to dry, and the arrows arrows were hitting the clothing. Many Indians came after them, or Native Americans, and they all missed in that particular moment. Trusting in the Lord that he had brought them across a world. And they had endured terrifying losses even on the voyage. The second they get off the boat, Indians attack. And yet God had a plan and a purpose for their being there. And he guarded their hearts and minds. A community that was utterly dedicated to the Lord Jesus You know, it is so frightening to live in this world. We just went through a COVID epidemic. Still, there are people recovering from COVID. Still, stuff is out there. I'm hearing the flu is back. All kinds of things. We live this life only by the grace and empowerment of the living God. And when we go from this life, we go to heaven. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. And that is not a bad thing. Just to jump ahead a little bit, when the pilgrims were in the New World, had just arrived to Plymouth, they shifted their spot, and I'll tell you a moment about divine providences, and I won't belabor it, most of you guys know this, but by the end of their first winter in the New World, out of approximately 100 people that came over on the boat, there were only 47 people still alive. They'd lost 13 of their first 18 wives the women they had brought there, the women that were beloved to them, they had lost. Only three families remained unbroken. Well, compared to to Jamestown, that was great because at Jamestown, 80-90% mortality rate. 
Everybody was being slaughtered, either by fearful um, people that lived in the area or by disease, by the destruction. Well, where is your God? Same place he's always been. I beg your pardon. I never promised you a rose garden. He said, in this world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Puritanism, which is where these people came from philosophically, had a very strong connection to the idea of resurrection, of something beyond, of heaven not only coming to earth, but expanding out eons into eternity. That they had a future and a hope that wasn't simply based on the strange vicissitudes, the strange craziness of living on this planet. No, they had something much better than that, installed and held for them in heaven. So they were amazing about how they lived. Let me read you some things from J.I. Packer. I, I love the way he writes. He's, a, he's one of the great theologians of our time. And he was, uh, he's, uh, my best recollection is he is an Anglican or Episcopal minister, but very puritanical in terms of his doctrine and his thinking. The Word of God is first with him. First, he says in one passage in his book, uh, among God's giants, speaking of the Puritan people, the pilgrims, if you will. First, it's something of a crisis time soon after my conversion. He's speaking of himself. John Owen, a, a great Puritan divine, that means a preacher and teacher, helped me to be realistic. That is neither myopic, short-sighted, nor despairing about my continuing sinfulness and discipline of self-suspicion and mortification to which all Christian, with all Christians I am called. I'll slow that up for you. He had sin problems in his life as a man of God. Inexplicable how they would inhabit his dreams or his thinking. But he was granted by the theology of the Bible and the Puritan people the idea of self-suspicion, of doing a fearless moral inventory, it's called an AA, and mortification, death to self, to which with all Christians I am called. Second, some years after that, Owen, Owen is, again, a great teacher in the Puritan movement and preacher, under God enabled me to see how consistent and unambiguous is the biblical witness to the sovereignty and particularly, particularity of Christ's redeeming love. That Christ loves you and loves people, which is also, of course, the love of the Father and the Holy Spirit. The persons of the Godhead are always at one. The theological implications of he loved me and gave himself for me. Christ loved you and gave himself up for you and for the church. God shows his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, at our very worst, we need to be established in this biblical idea. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, Romans 5, 8, and many other passages like that in my, he's saying, in his brokenness, in his inability, Christ met him. And this is the pilgrim story. They crossed an ocean with the worst things befalling them and yet maintaining faith in Christ and that heaven was their real hope. In the fifth section of what he was writing, I, I distilled some of this. The Puritans have taught me to see and feel the transitoriness, and I thought this was the most important part for you guys, of a lot of this life, to think of it with all its richness, richness as essentially this life is the gymnasium and the dressing room where we are prepared for heaven. And to regard readiness to die is the first step in learning 
to live. Let me say that again. I think it's important. Readiness to die is the first step in learning to live. I pray that the Lord is going to use this. I'm there at the hospital. They're going to cut me open. Who cares? And I had such a, a strange moment of being filled with the Holy Spirit. And it's like, if I don't get off the table, I'm going to say something. I'm going to say something to them. Nurse, doctor, about the love of Jesus. I cannot live this life in my own strength. I will not go through this thing without finding some value in it. You know who I think was whispering to me to have that attitude? It wasn't Bill Jeske in his lameness and need. No, it was Jesus Christ who also lives in me and wars against my uh, 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 sad members to bring forth goodness and glory because of his name. Here again is a historic Christian emphasis. It was patristic, medieval, reformation, all Puritan, evangelical. What he's saying is that the pilgrims, when they went over, were steeped in biblical theology, which, which Protestantism, he says, in this era that what he was writing, has largely lost touch. He's saying the church, some parts of the church, have lost their way. Can we not see that clearly? I'm not going to cite the issues. I'm not going to raise the hackles here in the room. But it's very clear that we, many places, there are churches that are reprobate without any question. I pray in Jesus' name we never become that, but we're no better in ourselves. But through him, we can do all things. The Puritan... The Puritans were in a sense so holy and so different, which is a good thing. They experienced systematic persecution for their faith. What we today think of as the comforts of home were unknown to them. Their medicine and surgery were rudimentary. They had nothing. They had no aspirins, tranquilizers, sleeping tablets, or antidepressant pills, just as they had no social security or insurance in a world in which more than half the adult population, I'm going here as an apologetic for all those who died on the trip to the new world. I'm just telling you, their life back home was no different. Think of a world without antibiotics. Think of it. This room would be halved almost in a moment. It is the grace of God. Actually, in many cases, it is the love of Christ through physicians, nurses, scientists that were given discoveries like penicillin, etc., that have kept us alive. It was the goodness of the Lord. His goodness is running after us and has run after us. God has shed his grace, we sing, on the United States of America and all over the world. An expansion of his goodness. He, it is not his will that any perish. He wants people to live. But in this era, those helps were not available. The main help, however, always is the hope of eternity in the Lord. It was a world in which more than half the adult population died young, half of it. And more than half the children born died in infancy, disease, distress, discomfort, pain, and death were their constant companions. They would have been lost had they not kept their eyes on heaven and known themselves as pilgrims traveling home to the celestial city. These people, these pilgrims, these Puritans, saw themselves as one step away from eternity. What do we, how, what, do we know what a day will bring any of us? What tomorrow will be like? Do we know? Do we know? Are we prepared 
to live with him right now? Are we ready to go? Uh, uh, and if not, why not? Be anxious in nothing, but in everything with prayer and supplication. Let your request be made known to God, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Reckoning with death brought appreciation of each day's continued life and the knowledge that God would ultimately decide without consulting them. O beautiful for pilgrim feet, whose stern and passion stress, a thoroughfare for freedom beat across the wilderness. America, America, God, mend thine every flaw. Confirm thy soul in self-control, thy liberty in law. In March of, I believe it was 1621, a big Indian walks into little Plymouth town. Now, understand, Plymouth, uh, some years before they got there, had been visited by something that killed every living human being in the area they were living in. There was some kind of plague. But the, the helpful part of that was it gave them about 50 miles of freedom because they were not welcome guests on this continent. They weren't welcome guests in this world. As it says in one place, of whom the world was not worthy. This guy comes up to the town wearing nothing but a leather loincloth, and they're watching him, afraid he might attack someone. And they hear him say in a booming voice, Welcome! <laughs> oh my gosh. Nobody speaks English over there, or do they? His name was Samoset. He'd been captured. He'd been taken across the waters. And a long story short, he had a friend whose name was Squanto. And you know the story, but I will give the briefest thing as we somewhat come to a conclusion here. Squanto had been probably, I'd say, 10, 14 years a captive of uh, the British. He, he was brought back to the United States after years in England, serving there probably in a sense in a form of slavery. Comes back to the United States, speaking English, loving uh, beer and alcohol, living his life. He comes back to his home, and there is no home there. Every Indian in that area had disappeared. They died. They'd been destroyed, probably by disease, most likely by smallpox. And he's captured again by another deceitful guy from the mainland, from England, that takes him back over here. But on that trip, he is there. He's put with Spanish, um, um, shall we call them priests. And they, again, teach him about Christ. Now, there's no sense that he received Christ. At the end of his life, he prayed that they would go to be with the English God. He did pray the prayer, if you will, the sinner's prayer. But what Squanto did as he saw, came back to the United States, yet one other time got on board a boat. He saw and heard that there was an area, he was told by Samus that this area where the people were going to starve that winter, they were all going to die. They had no idea how to handle the wilderness they had come to. And he saw for him a purpose in life. And the end of the story, if you know it, is he comes in, he teaches them how to fish, he teaches them how to hunt, he teaches them everything. Four days to go, uh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm misplacing this part. A, a, they needed fish in order to make corn in that particular environment. And they'd put them in four places on a mound. And I don't want to go into the thing about making corn, but corn was the staple. It was the diet that would keep you alive. But the people didn't have any fish. They couldn't go in the ocean. It was too rough. It was too brutal. What were they to do? He said, just give us four days. His area knowledge, his AK. 
He knew what to do. In four days, the rivers of the area filled with fish because that time of year, they always ran. They captured them. They put them down. They built a community. They made things out of beavers. They did everything this Indian, this foreigner said, who was ordained and instituted by God for their salvation because God had a plan for these people and that you would exist. You know, I'll, I'll conclude a little this way. Out of these families, these pilgrim families, they do these statistics. I'm sure Bonnie did it in his, her book. Her, her book is more concise and helpful quickly for people. Millions of us, and definitely some people in this room, are the descendant of the pilgrims. There were only so many of us in the country then. Many a president, many a, a, a secretary of state, many a vice president came out of their loins, if you will. They came out of this experience in this moment. God shed his grace on these people. And I want to conclude this this way. The beauty of what happened in Plymouth is the beauty of what happens in the human heart where people are converted. It's what happens when Jesus comes in. Do you know why this particular colony survived? The miraculous gift of God's grace in Squanto, yes. But even more than that, these people were dedicated to the Lord. And these heathens, strong word there, mean no, no disrespect, these amazing people recognized the quality of the character of these Christians. If you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? What is it that will turn our culture around? It can be just one person walking into that office, walking into that neighborhood, somebody standing up for Jesus that lets his reasonableness be known to all, that, that shows the very life of Jesus in his deportment, his manner of life, and his love for people. And not only in the way he lives, but in the way he dies and the way he suffers. Let's bow our heads to pray. Lord, we thank you for our pilgrim forebears, and we thank you for, yes, people that you designed, like Joseph, Squanto, Samoset, Massasoit the chief, all, all kinds of people that came alongside just to keep us alive for your divine purpose. But Lord, let us be so filled with your spirit that we give you maximum glory all the days of our life. And if there's even one person here who wants to know you, Lord, help them to A, admit they're sinful. B, believe Christ is the only Savior, the only one. And C, choose to follow him. If that is your heart's desire, say, have mercy on me, a sinner in the secret place in your heart. Just have mercy on me. Cleanse me, renew me, make me whole. And for the believers here, make me that person that shines like the light in a dark place. If that's your prayer, if that's your heart, God has heard that prayer. He sees your heart and he is converting you even now to his everlasting kingdom. Be baptized, every one of you that is coming to Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, the symbol of death, burial, and resurrection.